Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 on our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here is the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 222 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 21st, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Coming up a little bit later, uscfootball.com beat writer uh, Dan Weber will be answering your questions about the Trojan football team. He has some comments on the combination bowl they're talking about for the Big 12 and uh, SEC and what are the implications that could be down the road for college football. We also have Coach Harvey Hyde joining us in the very first segment. We got a lot of questions for him. We got some feedback from last week when he asked you to send in your feedback on the Peristyle podcast. We'll kind of give you the results of what happened there. If you have any questions or comments, we love to hear from you. Email is podcast at uscfootball.com or you can leave a voicemail 206 888-6755 or go to peristylepodcast.com and right there on the left side of the page, click on leave a voice message and you can leave us a voice message right there from your computer. Well, we said Coach Harvey Hyde has joined us in the first segment. No exotic locations this week, but he's back. Coach, what's going on? Well, buddy, it's great to be back from Secret Assignment. I got a lot of stuff to tell you if you give me enough time and you bring up the right topics. I can't divulge where I was because I was sworn into secrecy. But if you bring it up, I can talk about it. I, sounds good, Coach. And uh, speaking of if we have time, there, there was uh, I want to go over the feedback for the show first. Uh, oh, you know what? Before we do that, I don't want to like uh, diss our sponsor there. Our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com if you need tickets for anything. Unfortunately, no more Clippers tickets, at least for another year. Uh, but there's still, still a chance the Lakers can still be in. Obviously, the LA Kings are doing really well. Angels, Dodgers have the best record in baseball, or at least they did a couple of days ago. Hopefully they still do. Uh, concerts, sporting events. If you want to go to the theater, my wife just went to Chicago over the weekend at Pantages, so that's cool. But go to sctickets.com, and uh, they will hook you up. And, Coach, before I, I was jumping in there, you talked about if we have time. And uh, I asked last week four things I wanted to hear from people, and I said I'd pick uh, random surveys from everyone that emailed in and i'd send uh, the top five not the top five the five randomly selected ones a uh, r75 or better than your 85 t-shirt and um what i asked coach was tell me about what do you think about the length what you like about it what you don't like about it and if you have any questions or comments it's kind of a, an open-ended one and you mentioned the uh do we have time i try to keep them to about an hour and you know sometimes they go a little long but that's that's kind of like the length we've tried to keep it at there's no real reason to i mean the file sizes get bigger sometimes if the files are too big people will email and and complain a little bit it takes longer to download uh but the majority coach of everyone that we talked to i mean it, well it wasn't the majority there was one person that thought it should be shorter of i don't know how many if we got like 50 of them or something uh about half the people said it's the right length and about half the people said longer so uh i you know, we should. I guess we could put a little more time in, Coach. We could expand them a little bit. But a lot, a lot of people like the length, but a lot of people would like to see it longer as well. Well, as long as we have good information to pass out and good topics, 
We'll be happy to talk. I'll stay and talk with you all day because I love college football and I love talking about athletics. You know that. So if people keep sending in questions as far as my portion of the podcast, hey, you can count on me. And, again, I thank you very much for reacting and tell us what you think. Yeah, it was great. I, I was really surprised at the, the amount of uh, – I haven't gone through tally them all. I just I read every one as they came in and I put in a folder so I can kind of count them all up and see what we had. But I tried to keep track of – of everything that people said and, and just get a general idea. The likes were pretty varied, Coach. Well, a lot of people just love the podcast. They want to see more podcasts. So uh, we can, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. we got to produce these. We're, usually, we're doing about two a week now. The fourth and goal podcast with your friend, uh, Johnny Friedman, um, it's suspended for a little bit. Not suspended, but just uh, delayed because uh, he's, on, you know, he's a student at USC, and they're on summer break, and his partner, Ross, uh, Dottel, he's on summer break as well, and Johnny's actually working up in the Pacific Northwest. He's doing uh, play-by-play for a minor league baseball team, so he can't be doing the podcast yet. But once they get back in school, he'll start doing that again. Uh, but a lot of different likes, Coach. Uh, it, it just depended on some people really lo- – it's funny that some people love you or they love Dan Weber or they love uh, recruiting. Um, and then on the not-like part, it was kind of mixed too, where some people are like, ah, I'm not really – no, no offense, Coach. Some people said they weren't you weren't there you weren't they weren't the biggest fan of you. Uh, some people said eh, Dan kind of goes on a little too long sometimes. Some people said I don't really like recruiting. I, I keep that to a minimum. And it's like then you get the exact opposite where oh I love Coach Harvey Hyde or oh Dan Weber I love when he keeps going on about subjects or recruiting I can't get enough of it. So it's it's kind of mixed. It just depends on uh, I guess what people like. Well, I tell you that's their opinion, and they're they're certainly deserving of saying whatever they want. All I do is, as I say, give my opinion on what I, the way I see different things, and they don't have to ever agree with me. Or if they do agree with me, okay, fine. I just try to give an honest answer to any question I'm asked or any topic we discuss. And sometimes you agree, sometimes you don't agree. And uh, sometimes they say I'm a little bit too negative on times to, uh, on certain topics. All I do is tell you my side of it, the way I see it, the way I've experienced it, and. Uh, I try to do my best for all of you out there. So, uh, you know, uh, I used to hear the cheers and I used to hear the boos. And uh, I tell you, you just try to hear more cheers than boos. The, uh, the, I would say 90% of the, the people that said that you are their biggest like, um, I mean, they love the fact that you're very open and honest and they like your opinion, uh, you know, being a former coach. So I think that was the, the general feedback is that um, all the people that were, were you know, big likes on you coach they do like that fact that you just tell it how you, you know, how you feel and you don't really pull any punches as far as the team well thank you and uh that's what i try to do and, and that's why i think you have me on the podcast is to give this side of it and uh, i try to be honest and you know one thing i do is i respect our listeners and our listeners are very intelligent about the game of football and what's going on or they wouldn't be spending time listening to these podcasts or being a part of uscfootball.com. You know, a lot of people in the media and so on think they can fool people by writing an article or saying certain things. Hey, people read into these things, the purpose of them. Why did they have to write that article now? Why was it an article on Sunday, a big negative uh, article? See, so, you know, the people that listen to us, uh, Ryan, are real football and Trojan fans. And all they want to do is see if you're if they agree with you or disagree with you. 
and uh, they are intelligent about recruiting. They're intelligent about evaluating players. Uh, most of them have had experiences with their family or themselves playing athletics, and they know about it. They've been in college uh, or not college. It doesn't make any difference, and, and uh, you can't BS these people. And that's what I'm not going to do. I'm going to tell you the real way I look at it. And we appreciate it, Coach, and we love it. Um, so some of the other – I, I kind of skip over. The, the likes are like, okay, whatever. That's fine. I, people like it. That's great. I always go to the not likes. I don't know if that's just <laughs> – I don't know why that is. But you want to see how you can do things better, and you want to see what people don't like. Uh, a lot of them are kind of joking where I don't like it when it ends, so they, they want the show to go longer. So I guess that's not a bad thing. Um, some people didn't like the new intro that I recorded. I'm going to try to re-record those, too. They like the uh, Conquest part. I just put some general music in there. Uh, we can take that. And like I said, the recruiting part was funny. There, There's definitely different camps where people love. I mean, Gerard's really good at, at the recruiting stuff, and, and people love the information that he drops on these podcasts that we do and the Trojan Blast. But there's other people that are – they don't care about players until they sign or arrive at USC. And – uh it, it's funny the different you know fans. I mean, a lot of what we do at uscfootball.com is recruiting because that's no one really covers that. You don't really get a lot of information there, and I think we do it you know the best of anyone. Uh, but it, it it is funny, coach, to hear from some people like, yeah, recruiting. I don't really care about it. Well, let me tell you, recruiting is the name of the game. You can be the world's greatest coach, and if you don't have the right athletes to motivate and and uh, forecast per, uh, properly, you're not going to be around as a coach. So uh, athletes make you a pretty good coach. Pete Carroll was a pretty good coach. Why? He knew how to recruit. Most coaches in the country have programs to recruit to. You, Lou Saban's a great coach. Why? He's coaching at Alabama. Put him at uh, uh, a university that doesn't have that great tradition, he would struggle. Most people would struggle. Now he's a great coach and has great ambition and has great tradition, so he probably would turn around that type of program. But, you know, players make it happen. When you start to think as a coach, oh, I'm going to coach this guy, you are in serious trouble because it's players. I, I, I was talking to a young coach the other day who had a great year, uh, a Division One coach, and I said, I called him out of the office and we were talking. I, I won't mention his name. And I said, hey, coach, you just remember one thing. You never have too many players. You never have too many players. So don't start to think you have too many players and you let up. What players do is they bring you competition during the week in practice. And that's where you get better, during the off-season and during practice. Not the 12 games you play. It's the practice time and the competition in the weight room and the competition in practice and people being able to go against great players and get better. So you never have enough players. And if you start thinking that way and keep thinking that way, you'll find yourself uh, probably a pretty successful coach. Good good advice there, Coach. Uh, well, speaking of recruiting, and I know some people aren't big fans of this, but you were listening to Gerard's podcast, The Trojan Blast, the other day, and you heard what he was talking about. Uh, five-star 2013 defensive lineman recruit Kenny Bigelow uh, out of Maryland, who's a USC commit, and then Ellis McCarthy uh, from out here in California, five-star 2012 kid who ended up going to uh, UCLA, um, Gerard was, the, people are asking about who's better, and uh, Gerard was saying it was a tough call. There was strengths and weaknesses on both sides and talking about that. But uh, you told me off off the air that you had a little different opinion than that. 
Well, I have a different opinion because I have my own opinion, but uh, looking at both of these young men, and both of them are tremendous athletes, but uh, both of them have different motors. Kenny Bigelow has a motor that runs 100 miles an hour on every single play. He's a man at 18 years old. He is an absolute man. I mean, I believe he could play college football now as a junior in high school. I mean, he takes the pride and he goes hard and he makes plays. He pass rushes, he pursues, he hits. He's, he's, he doesn't turn his motor off. Alice McCarthy is Superman when you look at him. He played at Monrovia High School. It's in the real Hondo League. It's, uh, they, win, uh, they win a lot of games at Monrovia High School, but he didn't play against the same competition that Kenny's playing against. Uh, I never, and nothing against young men, but I didn't see him make big plays. I didn't see him dominate. I didn't see him with his motor running. He didn't play on the freeway. He played in uh, in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Uh, you got to play hard, and you got to play hard on every down. Now, he has the potential to become a great player. Uh, he went to UCLA, and, I, I, and it's a great school. But, you know, under Ed Orgeron at USC, I could have seen him become a man because Coach Orgeron either makes you or breaks you. And some kids are afraid of that type of competition. Kenny Bigelow can't wait to play for Coach Orgeron. He can't wait to have uh, a contest against a great offensive lineman. And, and, I, and I see the difference here. I, I think that I know that Alice McCarthy's a local kid. But there's a lot of local players. But I think Kenny Bigelow is going to be a great player, just like Leonard Williams. I mean, I love this kid from Florida coming in. He has the same motor, too. You've got to have a motor to play Division One football. You've got to have intensity. You've got to be able to play hard and every play. I'll tell you, and, and this is me, this fifth kid from Redlands, that's uh, already verbally committed for 2013, I like him better than Ellis McCarthy. And, you know, people might argue, and they, oh, you're crazy, and that's that. Okay, uh, I'm crazy, but I think he makes plays. i got to have players that make plays. I can't have players that watch people, other people make plays. i got to see guys make plays, and these two guys I just mentioned, Fitz and Bigelow, they make plays. They're in the play or they're around the play every time, wherever the ball is. Ellis had some problems being around the ball all the time, and I think at times he loafed and, he was reading the newspaper. He's got great potential. I think he'd be a great player and should be a great player, but he's not ready to play now. All right, Coach. Take that, Gerard Martinez. We're gonna... <laughs> I'll let him know. Uh, no, I... no, Gerard. I, I, I appreciate Gerard's... Uh, I know. I'm just uh, kidding. I respect him. <laughs> I, I love... The reason I, I listen to him is that's why I could comment on this. Yeah. No, it's good. You get to see these kids, too. And obviously, being a former coach and a former recruiter... Uh, I think you can see different things than a lot of us see when we're going out to practices oh, or games yeah. and watching these kids. Uh, all right, you know, well, it's different to do it full speed in, in a game, and you're looking for the lookout block. Uh, oh, where's that block? My bad, blind side. I'm looking to see if somebody's coming or the guy that doesn't care if somebody's coming. <laughs> and I tell you, Fitz and Bigelow, they don't care who's coming or who's going anywhere. They're getting to the football, hmm. and that's what you got to have on defense. Nice. Uh, all right, well, let's get to some of these questions. First one I'm going to take on, and that, Coach, this was actually a, uh, some of the feedback we got. They said that we like you as the host of the show, but I want to hear your 
uh, thoughts as well because you're at practice every day too. And uh, I'll try I'll try to do that more. I mean, I'm I'm trying to keep the show going and answer, and do the questions. I don't answer a lot of them, but I do try to make comments and stuff. Like if coach, if you say something, or Dan Weber, I try to chime in as well. But I can try to do that a little more. But here's a question for me, coach. Uh, Matthew wants to know. I read somewhere that we might be getting a tight end transfer from Nebraska, and I was wondering if this could be verified. So the tight end he's talking about is uh, J.T. Kerr, and uh, I think it was Scott Wolf reported that uh, for the L.A. Daily News that USC was getting a transfer in. Uh, he didn't say anything about if he was going to be a walk-on or scholarship player. I didn't know really anything about the kid, and I uh, contacted uh, Sean Callahan, who covers Nebraska for the uh, Nebraska Rivals site, uh, Huskers Online over there, and he, he knows everything there is to know about Nebraska football. And just kind of a generalizations of what he told me was that JT Kerr was not someone that was on the two deep. He never played. Um, he had off field problems uh, with alcohol. And uh, there was a couple incidents and there might've been, an, I think there was at least one, maybe more than one uh, arrest for alcohol related incidents. And he, in his words, there's no way USC would be giving this kid a scholarship. So I, I think, Coach, when some people say, oh, this this kid's transferring in, they assume it's going to take up a scholarship. Uh, but, I mean, very likely that's not going to be the case. He will not be on scholarship. We don't even know if he is just going for academics or if he wants to play football. And if he does want to play football, would he be a preferred walk-on and just and, and be able to be on the squad? Or would he have to try out like other walk-ons? So we don't really know at this point. But I think people get up, get in a tizzy a little bit, Coach, when you hear about a transfer that they never heard of. And they're worried it's taking up a scholarship, but JT Kerr will not be. Well, that always happens, you know, especially from when you're a big program like Nebraska. You think, oh, man, we're getting somebody. But you got to wait and see. And obviously right now they're not looking for any tight ends. And uh, uh, if he comes uh, and he's invited out, fine. If he's got problems and he's a walk-on or had past problems, then you know, you can delay that and just wait a while. You've got other priorities right now the coaches are working on, and right now they're working on having a, a great recruiting year. So uh, they will deal with those type of things later if he gets into school and, and all of the following other things. Um, well, here's one from Paul in Vegas, Coach. He said there was a front-page article recently in the USA Today about Texas's athletic budget, which was highest both uh, intake and expenditures, uh, it got him thinking about the USC athletic debut, uh, budget. Does our football revenue pay for all of the athletic department? I realize basketball probably operates in the black, but I doubt if it contributes much. Uh, what do you think? It's a different thing, Coach, because USC is a private institution, and you can get a lot more information on the public schools. But what are your thoughts on how the USC athletic de uh, department budget works? Well, I know how it works. First of all, the USC Athletic Department uh, subsidizes its complete self. It's separate from the university. It has to raise all of its money. There is no uh, tuition waivers, which means if there's a million dollars in scholarships per year for their athletic programs, the athletic department has to raise that. Now, they raise that through ticket sales, television revenues, corporate sponsorships, radio sponsorships, TV, the whole package. But all of the money in the SC Athletic Department is raised by the Athletic Department through all those ways I mentioned. Uh, other schools, they get state-funded uh, budgets, but not at USC. And it also works this way. If there's any money left over at the end of the year that is not spent by the Athletic Department at USC for special things or if they've had a great year and they get a lot of money, 
The rest of that money is transferred at the end of the fiscal year into the general fund at USC. So you have to pay for everything yourself. You have to self-subsidize all your scholarships, uniforms. Every single thing in the athletic department at USC has to be raised through the USC athletic department. Promotions, fundraising, development, all of those. And USC in the athletic department has all their separate departments that do that. Don Winston, Ron Orr, all of that. They head up development. You've got all the Jose Eskenazi heads up, uh, corp, uh, heads up corporate sponsorships, radio, television, the new uh, affiliates that uh, uh, that Pac-12 is putting together falls under Jose Eskenazi, and he reports, of course, to Pat Hayden. They are their own separate company. So that means all the funds have to be raised, raised by them to make it happen. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you think I? Do you think it's? Fo- I mean, football is obviously the big breadwinner, uh, but do you think like a sport like basketballs, uh, men's basketball is making money for USC? No, currently it is not right now. It may get some television revenue, but as far as the the attendance and that portion of the basketball program, I don't think it is. Uh, the attendance is down. Uh, I think right now men's basketball, women's basketball, probably the only sport right now at USC that's paying for itself is uh, football and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And well, you know, with the, the new television contracts as well, I'm mean, obviously the more, majority of that's coming from football. But we'll see when the Pac-12 network comes in. Some of the Olympic sports will be, excuse me, will be on television. I don't know how you would include them as like, with, you know, if, if if the Pac-12 network is making money, are you going to give credit to swimming and diving, or is it still going to mostly be from football? But that should bring you know revenue into all the different sports as well. It certainly is. It's a tremendous package. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about the affiliate, the new Pac-12 affiliate, but it's going to be Fox on Channel 11 here in Los Angeles. That's where the Pac-12 is going to be. It's going to be Channel 11, just like they have 2, 7, 4, they have carry college football channel 11 next year is going to be the pac 12 and you're guaranteed uh, one appearance on the major network broadcast and then they're going to have fx be a part of them and then also they'll have games on espn and abc too so it's a huge package for football huge package it's one of the best packages that there are why because uh, Fox has affiliates in Arizona, in Washington, all over the country. So immediately there'll be exposure in all of the areas where the local games will be televised. So immediately it gives you exposure everywhere. It's going to be huge. It's going to be, uh, it's a huge package. It's a great package. I'm not saying it's better than ESPN's package, but it's equal because you're going to be everywhere with free television as far as Fox and its packages. And it's great. And they're going to have every sport on television. Every sport will have its time on television. And uh, now, as you know, the radio portion of the broadcast is on ESPN. And next year, every game will go national on ESPN. So it's going to be huge. In fact, two games, they're bringing in their national broadcast team to broadcast two games nationally. So it's going to be it's 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 absolutely huge now. Uh, I think only Notre Dame and now USC will have a national TV audience on radio every Saturday. It's absolutely huge, and I think it's going to help the university so much 
all universities, but all universities don't have the ESPN thing. Right. So it's going to be absolute. All right, Coach, thanks for that. Uh, let's go to Jeremy uh, from Honolulu, and he wants to know, uh, he read an article whether or not USC should retire numbers of non-Heisman Trophy winners. He says, to me, it should not be a debate. He says it's clear that the offensive players are favored in the Heisman Trophy. Uh, so why are defensive players at USC left out in the cold? What does the USC defensive player have to do to get his jersey retired? So what do you think on this topic? Well, I tell you, to retire a jersey, I think a guy's got to make a, a huge contribution to the program. I mean, that's a that's a real honor to have your jersey retired. Mike Garrett's jersey and the rest of these guys. I mean, uh, at any university, not just USC. I know when I coached at UNLV, the only football jersey that I think that's ever been retired there is Randall Cunningham's number twelve. Uh, uh, you don't, you know, when you retire a jersey, that means someone's never supposed to wear that jersey again. Now, uh, Mike Garrett allowed. What was the defensive back's name from uh, Long Beach Folly? Darnell Bing. Yeah, he allowed him to wear that number as far as part of the recruitment of him. And uh, I don't know if others will do that or if that's going to continue. But uh, I think that to retire a jersey has got to be a huge contribution to the university. Maybe even as big as a Heisman Trophy or bigger. Could be a bigger contribution because it doesn't necessarily always have to be you were the Heisman Trophy winner. It has to be that you were a leader or something that means so much to USC football. Matt Barkley, for what he did in coming back, wow, changed the whole mood around USC as far as football is concerned. I'm not suggesting they retire his jersey, but I think it's something that makes an effect on the whole university to retire someone's number, so they always remember that number. So... uh, I don't. I don't think you have to be a Heisman Trophy winner to uh, have your jersey retired. I don't think uh, you should necessarily retire a Heisman, jer- uh, Heisman Trophy winner as far as automatically retiring this jersey either. That's how I feel on that. Okay, uh, Jeff in the OC had a question. He's. I must vent my disdain for the introduction of the color black into the Trojan uniform color schemes. We've talked about. Uniform color and stuff before, Coach. Uh, we are Cardinal and gold, not Cardinal, gold, and black. In addition to many players wearing black socks, I noticed Matt Barkley last season wore a black T-shirt sleeves under his uniform. In my opinion, the color black mixed in with our traditional colors is rather unattractive. Uh, this is Jeff Neosi. He's, he's a USC fan from back in the Marcus Allen days. Well, I, I've discussed this before, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, at USC and other great programs. Uh, you don't see Ohio State changing their jersey or, or others. Uh, at least I, I don't know what they have. They may, but I know Alabama and Penn State's never changed their uniform. I think that it speaks for itself. When you turn a TV on, you know who you're watching. You know who's playing. You don't even have to turn on the sound, and you know it's USC. Last year when I was watching some schools play, I didn't know what the hell they were until I found out, oh, is that Maryland? Oh, I mean, it looked like a circus, their uniforms. Yeah, it was like Arena League or something. Yeah, right? you know, uh, I don't think that's the way you build a program. Everybody says, oh, kids want to wear that today. That's what kids really love. Well, uh, you know, sometimes you got to say, I know kids really love a lot of things, okay? But one of their toys isn't going to be our tradition and our uniform. 
I like the white socks at USC. I like the black shoes at USC. I like the Trojan uniform. I think uh, that should carry out in all sports uh, at USC or any university, but you do see the color black coming in and at a lot of schools. Uh, you know, it's that's just my opinion. Some people like it. Some coaches like it. But I think you've got to stay with the traditional uniform of that university, or how can you ever develop a program? Every head coach comes in and changes the whole uniform. Heck, after a while, you don't even know who the school is anymore. They change it all the time. So I think that uh, administration should just keep say, hey, this is our tradition. This is our uniform. This is what we're going to wear, and that's the way it is. All right, Coach. Uh, I didn't even notice that Barkley wore some black unders. I, I need to pay attention to these things a little bit more. But uh, people people notice them and, and they care about them. Obviously, we get a lot of questions about it. Oh, I, I notice that stuff all the time. I, I've, I remember in warm-ups, I used to walk around and if a kid had a, something on that he wasn't supposed to, I'd go over and say, "Go take that off. You're not going to play." And uh, you know, there's just certain things that you have to uh, take care of because if you allow one player to do it, they all do it. Oh. So uh, you've got to be very strict on the rules that you uh, implement. Well, there, okay, Coach, now we, we're almost out of what would be our time, about 30 minutes. But since we got some good feedback when people want a little bit longer, let's go. Two more topics I wanted to bring up we can go over fairly quickly. But uh, off the air, you were also talking about something you were impressed with Lane Kiffin, the way he handled his assistant coaches uh, during the recruiting process. Maybe you want to share your thoughts on that. I do want to do this, and uh, uh, I've been reading uh, on uscfootball.com as far as the way Lane Kiffin has talked about his coaches, his new coaches, the way they've worked into the staff, and the recruitment that's going on by them. It's we, or it's them. It's not me. He's giving credit to Sanders and to Orgeron and Greg and Palomalu and all of his coaches is saying, hey, what a great job these coaches have done. I think that's, that's a sign of maturity. And it's not me, it's we, it's us. And uh, I think that shows me a lot about Lane Kiffin. There's a lot of coaches that can't say that. It's, uh, yes, well, we, uh, yeah, we got this great kid, or yeah, I, I, I closed him, or, or, yeah, whatever. You know, but he's freely use the term of of giving credit to his assistant coaches, especially this spring, not only in practice but also in recruiting. And I think that's a great trait for a head coach to do that. You'll find when you see head coaches doing that, these assistant coaches will work harder and harder and harder for him because they want to satisfy their head football coach. And they want to know that they're doing the right thing and he appreciates it. And I think that that shows me a lot of maturity on Coach Lane Kiffin, and I I really like that. Yeah, definitely. uh, He he seems to be a humble guy when it comes to that stuff. I mean, obviously, he's got an ego. Every every head coach has a big ego, but he's definitely willing to put uh, assistants out there and uh, give them credit where credit is due. Uh, One last thing, Coach. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. Dan Weber is going to talk about this uh, in the the next segment as well, but the new uh, bowl agreement that, you know, it was being discussed with the, the Big 12 and the SEC. I, I know you had some thoughts on that. Well, this could be, this could be a full segment, believe me. Uh, but I think the BCS is going to blow up. Where it's going to go, uh, I'm not real happy of the way the 
Big 12 and the Southeastern Conference did it because it leaves a lot of uh, guessing and wondering what's going to happen to the traditional bowl games. I don't really like that. I don't like them forgetting the loyalty of the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl. They, uh, those other bowls brought a lot of money to college football. And it looks as though the Big 12 looks as though the Big 12 and the Southeastern Conference want to blow out the middle guy. And that's the bowl game. That's the bowl game itself that generates, you know, they get out of the television package three or $4 million a year for their expenses of running the game and their offices and so on. Because you didn't hear them say that they were going to affiliate themselves with one of the major bowl games, and that's who will play the game. They said, or gave, uh, say, let's say, gave you a feeling of, we'll put that game out the bid. So it's getting to be all money, all money, all money, and I think we're going a little bit too far. I think that you've got to maintain the tradition of these games, yet have a playoff that everybody's wanting to have. Not me necessarily, but they're trying to put it together. I like the system that was in place, except I think it should be a championship team that's in a major bowl game of a conference. What I see, and this is what I'm saying, I see, I see four conferences with 16 teams in each conference, okay? This is what I'd like to see if they're going to go this way. Then I think that means that you have really eight conferences, eight conferences. I think Florida State, Miami, Pittsburgh, maybe Syracuse. These teams are all going to go to Texas. They're going to make, there's going to be a lot of change. There's going to be four more teams added to the Pac-12, whatever. Then you're going to have eight and eight. Now they're going to have a championship game. Okay, that championship game, they want to have somewhere where they get the money for that. Well, it's okay. I can see that because they do that now. Then I think the semifinal game should be like the Rose Bowl for the whoever that Pac-12, Big Ten sign an agreement, and the Big 12 and the Southeastern Conference in another one of the three. I would guess it'd be the Sugar Bowl. I think the ACC and the Big East are going to blow up. I think those football teams are going to go to different places. And it's not that they're not going to have football or have a chance to go to a great bowl game. They are, except it won't be for the national championship. They'll go to other bowl games, like Oregon and SC. The loser will go to another game. It'll be a great game. They might be playing Michigan, because Ohio State wins the Big, big Ten, or maybe the Big 16 or whatever it's called. And then I think after these two games, there'll be a national championship game, and I think that game will go out to bid. That game will go out to bid, and that game will bring in, I don't want to say figures, 50 to $70 million TV revenue, maybe more, and that game will bring in revenue from ticket sales and someone bidding on it. Jerry Jones's name always comes up as far as in his stadium in Arlington. I'd love to see Southern California bid on it as a whole Southern California, L.A., Pasadena, the whole thing, make an effort to have it in the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of all of them. I would think every college football player's dream would be playing the Rose Bowl. And it's got brand-new facilities. It's going to be awesome over there. I go over there all the time and look at it and watch them build it. Uh, it's the only college stadium left. The rest of all the bowl games are played in NFL stadiums. 
and I, th- I would like to see them bid on the national championship game. The weather's going to be great, too, in Southern California. The chances are it being great is in Southern California, and I think that's what's going to happen. Now, uh, that's a lot that has to be done. I know the Pac-10 and the Tournament of Roses and Big 12 or Big 10 are having a lot of meetings over this. And uh, I don't want to see everything blow up. And I don't want to see college football get greedy and lose the tradition of all of these things, these great games. So that's how I feel. That's what I'm projecting, predicting. Will it happen? Who knows? You never know. No, with all the, there's a lot of teams changing conferences. There's a lot of talk out there. So we just kind of sit back and watch and see what happens. USC seems like they're in a good spot right now. Not much change probably going out here on the West Coast, but we will see what happens back east and in Texas and all that kind of stuff. But, Coach, okay, we went a little long, but thank you for uh, still hanging with us and and sharing all your thoughts on these subjects. We're going to have Dan Weber coming up in the next segment. But thanks again, Coach, for joining us. Thank you, and uh, I want to wish everybody a great Memorial Day weekend coming up. And, uh, Ryan, make sure you let me know what you're planning on doing that day with our podcast. Okay? Oh, yeah. we got to figure that out. So, okay, well, I'll, we'll figure that out. Maybe we'll tape something. Uh, but we'll let you know. I'll let you know during the uh, Trojan Blast podcast a little bit later on this week. But thanks again, Coach. Everyone else will be back in 30 seconds with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, and we have, as promised, uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. Dan, I had to say we are back. I said, I said welcome back before. Some of the feedback I got was you're not welcoming them back because the, the listeners are still listening to the show, so it's not like they're coming back. But we are coming back from a break, and then we're coming back with a new guest. So I guess now we're back, and we have you on, Dan. What's going on? Uh, not much. Just uh, thinking about you know some of the – Big thoughts about college football this weekend, uh, this past weekend. Anyway, it's kind of nice to to get together on Monday morning to kind of take a look at look back and uh, uh, kind of one of the big developments uh, toward the end of last week. Basically, was that agreement with the um, SEC and the Big Twelve that their top ranked teams, uh, if they don't have them in the in the uh, Final Four playoff, which is uh, you know still to be determined and still a process that I think is is I don't think that's a, a, an absolute guarantee that that's going to happen. But uh, but I know they were getting some coverage basically, or some of the national people who cover college football talking about this is one of the greatest developments you know in the history of college football and all that. I said yeah they you know they they caught up with the Rose Bowl. I think what 110 years later. Wow, <laughs> they're way out on the edge in the front. But I do think it's a recognition by the SEC and the Big 12 that there may be another way that they have to go to determine 
uh, who who the college football champion is. And, and as we've been saying for a couple of years, it looks like it's going to come down to four super leagues uh, that are going to decide everything at the top of college football. And that's probably the way it should be. And it's probably more uh, a recognition of where college football is going uh, with four super leagues, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the Big 12 who escaped. uh, They escaped the cut last year. Had the Pac-12 pulled the trigger and taken in the two Oklahoma schools and worked on Texas, there might not be a Big 12 right now. But the Big 12 escaped. And I think the uh, uh, the conference that's on the cutting block, uh, because I don't think it's even worth talking about the Big East, but the conference that's on the cutting block is the ACC, which certainly looks like it's going to have people picking over uh, the top prospects, Florida State, Clemson, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, to fill out you know, the Big 12 and the SEC. And... Uh, that's going to be it. Right? What happens to a school like crazy. Miami? I think Miami's a good question. I think Miami's the really the one that that's the flip a coin program at this point. I think there's so many questions as to what happens to Miami in so many ways when you think about you know the NCAA stuff, which is basically unsolvable. I mean, there's just nothing that that they can do. I think with Miami uh, in terms of how the NCAA does things. Uh, they probably have no answer, but you're right. I think Miami's the one. I think you can you can kind of find maybe a place for Virginia Tech, Clemson, Florida State, but and all of them certainly, absolutely, positively must be in you know the four super conferences. But what happens to Miami is a is a really good question. Yeah, it's, there's I mean there's a lot of questions uh, going on there, and then and when you look at it. Team, they're going to have to get bigger. Like, even if you want, like, a Boston College, um, I mean, who's to say who's going to get in these conferences? But, there, you know, there's two, uh, you know, when you ha- you're talking about the SEC down there and, and the Big 12, um, I mean, SEC seems like they have to absorb a lot more. They don't have much room. Uh, but what about out here in the Pac-12 when you're talking, like... Well, uh, see, I think the Pac-12 pretty much pay us on its opportunity. I think the Pac-12's footprint with the 12 schools that's about it. I just can't see Boise, even despite the quality of the program, uh, the quality of the school. I it, it it just won't pass muster. And I saw the you know the new chancellor at the University of Hawaii was talking the other day about boy he'd sure like the Pac-12 to take a look at him and that kind of thing. I just think, and you look at you know San Diego State or uh, you know UNLV, the the geographic schools. Uh, make no sense, you know, the University of New Mexico, uh, they're just not there, you know, Colorado State, Wyoming. Uh, I think the Pac-12, because of the footprint, because of the cities and the schools involved, I don't know that the Pac-12 has to go up past 12 at this point. I think they could be, they could be okay. I mean, I, I think I would have probably liked to have seen them take a shot at, take a run at the two Oklahomas and see what that did for Texas. Uh, I mean, the best thing that would have done would have probably been eliminated a, a big competitor because who knows what would have happened to the Big 12. But now here the Big 12 is in the running uh, for Notre Dame maybe uh, and Florida State and, you know, with West Virginia coming on board. So, I mean, I think there will be some of that. You're right. Uh, the, the SEC 
how many how many teams can they take? You know, two. So uh, what do we say? What happens with Virginia Tech? You know, uh, Clemson. Boy, it's hard to see the SEC happy with two South Carolina teams. I'm not sure uh, where where that leaves them. But that that's gonna it's gonna be interesting as to you know a Georgia Tech. You know, where do they go? You know, Miami. Uh, are they? You know, the reality is you didn't make the cut. I don't know. And this kind of forces Notre Dame's hand if that ends up happening, where they would have to join somebody because somebody, you right? They, and, yeah. and it'll be interesting because they have such a, a love hate relationship with the Big Ten, and they look at the Big Twelve and they say, "Man, we don't get any kids from Oklahoma. You know, what are we doing? You know, playing uh, you know those guys." Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where where Notre Dame goes, but they would almost have to go. Uh, and, you know, I think people predicted that it was going to happen faster than we thought once it started happening. And, of course, it would have happened if the, uh, you know, Pac-12 would have been able to get to the, you know, 16 in the first super conference. Uh, it's kind of ironic maybe that the Pac-12 that had a couple of opportunities to go there first will not be able to get there at all. I mean, they'll still be a super conference, but they won't be a – 16 team, you know, super conference, but uh, uh, it certainly looks like, I mean, I was thinking the NFL has 32 teams and everybody looks at the NFL, you know, Super Bowl winners, you know, it's the national champions, baseball and NBA, I guess they have 30 franchises and whoever wins that's the national champ, clearly. Uh, you know, college football has, if they have more than 50 some teams in this, you know, super division, Whoever wins that's going to be the national champ. I mean, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any problems with with it going there, but it, it surely looks like there's no other way for this to go, and that instead of having to come up with formulas and all the other things that people were not going to agree on about picking a Final Four uh, set of teams, how much simpler and clearer, cleaner to have, you know the. Pac-12 champ play the Big Ten champ, and the SEC champ play the Big, you know, or the Big Ten champ play the Pac-12, and the Big 12 play the SEC, and the two winners play for the national championship. I don't, couldn't be any neater than that. No, no, for sure. Um, maybe, maybe Notre Dame comes out west. What do you think, Dan? <laughs> I guess you know. I mean, a- academically, I mean, they've got you know, two natural rivals that they're playing every year now and that have been grandfathered into the Pac-12 schedules in USC and Stanford. And let's face it, uh, you know, Notre Dame does get, you know, a lot of students and it has a lot of alumni and what have you. How you would, um, how you would factor in the travel for the other sports, uh, I don't know. I mean, could they carry out the, uh, the uh, cooperative, uh, deal between uh, the uh, uh, Big Ten and the uh, uh, and the Pac-12, and say the Pac-12 takes Notre Dame for football, and the Big Ten takes Notre Dame for all their other sports. <laughs> that would be the ultimate in, in conference cooperation, wouldn't it? That would be pretty uh, interesting. <laughs> who knows? Uh, gosh, I just thought of that. That actually might that might be an interesting way to do that. Uh, that would be huh, interesting. Um, I don't know. Things are going to happen that we probably haven't thought about, though, I think, as this goes down the road. It just seems to make the most sense. And if you listen to those Pac-12 coaches uh, on their 
uh, conference call at the end of spring football uh, 10 days ago, every one of them basically said, whatever happens, we want to see it decided on the field. On the field. And this looks like it's the only way where you decide it on the field. Your champ plays our champ. Their champ plays the other guy's champ. The two winners play one another. Pretty simple. You know, however you get your champ in your conference is fine with us. And you put your guy against our guy. I mean, I think, you know, I don't think it gets any clearer than that. Yeah. Any cleaner and simpler and more straightforward. That's how, that's how it ought to be. I like it. We'll see. Hopefully that, uh, well, we'll see what happens. There'll be a lot of developments, and we'll keep following the stories, Dan. But <laughs> there will that. be some sweeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think the Big East feels like they've got that big a gripe now. I mean, when you know, when people like Syracuse and that, you know, leave. Uh, but there will be some ACC teams that'll really be unhappy. Yeah. If, if it goes this route, uh, you know. Uh, We'll see. Well, hey, we got some questions. Ball. As I said, they've got uh, UNC and Duke and Dickie V. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dickie V, baby. You know, so uh, we'll see. Yeah. Well, let's get to some questions, some USC questions. Uh, we have a few to get to. From a couple of weeks ago, Andrew wrote in, and he wanted to know kind of a where are they now thing. We've been doing some stories. I did a Brad Otten story, and I have a, a Jacob Rogers story that's still be coming up this week sometime. But he asked about some guys that you know you heard of that were good at USC, maybe didn't make it in the NFL. I have a, a list, and uh, we'll kind of go over some of these names and, and what we know about them now. Two of the names he brought up, Alex Holmes and Brandon Hancock, we actually had on our live show on Ustream. So you can check those out on uscfootball.com. Um, or if you go to ustream.tv slash uscfootball, you can go through the archives and see those guys. So Alex, is he's on Twitter a lot. You can follow him. He's doing a lot of stuff with his uh, brother-in-law, Troy Palomalu, kind of managing his social networking and, and, and marketing and stuff for him. And uh, Brandon Hancock has like a regular job. I think he's in finance, but he's still around here in the South Bay. I, I run into him fairly often. He still does some um, USC analysis stuff too, so you can kind of follow him. But here's a few more, Dan. I don't know if you remember. Remember Matt McGudagood? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I started watching him when I first came out here. I went to, I think the first high school football game I saw was modern day. Uh, might've been De La Salle. Might've been the game where Matt knocked some guy about, uh, and some guy, I say some guy was that all American linebacker who ended up at Miami. His name escapes me at this point, like eight feet in the air. DJ Williams. One of the greatest hits I've ever seen in, in, in any level of football. Uh, was that DJ Williams? Huh? DJ Williams. Was that him? Yes, 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 okay. yes. Went head over heels. Never saw anything. I mean, that was, wow. I mean, I just, uh, yeah. And, and you love Matt because he was like a normal guy. You know, you could, I, I you know, you're, you're tall, but, but for, those, you know, us guys, it was just neat to see a kid that size be able to be that successful at college football. Just one of the all-time great uh, favorites, I think, for most of us uh, covering USC football. Yeah, and he was playing. I think he was playing up in Canada for a while, uh, and but he's a firefighter now. He trained at the California Regional Fire Academy for the last couple of years, and he's living in Orange County. So, uh, right, he, uh, that's actually like a block and a half from my house. That's, uh, the fire <laughs> academy. So, oh wow! Uh, yeah, it is a small world, isn't it? Uh, it <laughs> in is Orange County, anyway. 
Uh, Kareem Kelly, uh, K2, I think they used to call him. Uh, you, yeah. He was last we saw was Las Vegas Locomotives in 2010. He was playing for it. We haven't found anything since then. I actually sent him an email and haven't heard back from him, so we'll get you an update there. Uh, same thing with Jason Leach, if you remember him, the USC safety. He was with the Chargers in 2005, I think, and we haven't really found anything more on him. So if anyone knows anything about Kareem Kelly or Jason Leach, drop us an email. We'll uh, put it on there. Tom Malone, I guess, is with uh, – he has been. He comes back. You see him at USC fairly often. Um you know, he'll, he'll work out there, especially when Pete Carroll was around. He was around all the time. But uh, I guess he's working out with St. Louis, so um, the the St. Louis uh, Rams. So, uh, interesting. I think he's going to give it one more shot. I mean, he, the, the sad thing is, had he not hurt his, his leg at, before his senior season, he might have been, you know, had a chance to be as good a punter as ever lived. Uh, I mean, his sophomore year when he – punted the ball almost 50 yards in average and, and some of the things he could do with that. Uh, with it. He had one of the great leg swings you've ever seen in, in football and uh, was doing some uh, in the senior, I guess, uh, in the summer before his senior season was, was just adding some place kicking to his uh, repertoire because he'd always been a good place kicker, hadn't worked at it that much, and uh, and caught his foot and, and tore his, uh, you know, hip socket a little bit and, and had never gotten himself right. He went to, you know, play football in Europe, has been, uh, you know, on a couple of practice squads. But, uh, man, what a shame. That he could have been, you know, one of those 20-year NFL punters. And, uh-huh. uh, man, you would just love to see him, uh, you know, where, where it comes back together for him because uh, he was just wonderful to watch. Certainly. Yeah, we hope, wish kid. the best for Tom. Um Jeff Byers. So he was actually with the Carolina Panthers last year. Ironically, when he came in to USC, he was like the Gatorade player of the year, and everyone thought he was going to start at center, and Ryan Khalil ended up starting, and now he's a, an all-pro in the NFL. Right. He's on the same team as uh, same team. Yep. as Ryan Khalil. But I guess he was on the practice squad, and now he's, been, uh, up, he's up to the active roster uh, on their off-season roster. So we'll see if he can stay up there with the regular squad. Uh, Kerry Colbert, uh, you know, he was coaching at USC. Um, we haven't heard anything from him lately. You can see him on Twitter and stuff, too. I don't know. Have you heard from him lately, Dan? No, I haven't. That's a good question. I've been wondering where he's, uh, where he ends up. That would, uh, you would think there would be a place for him. I mean, he's just so smart and tough and uh, such a technician. Uh, and, you know, he certainly put his mind to it. I mean, I don't think he went back. Uh, you know, just on a whim. I think he really, uh, when you watched him work out, uh, you know, you could tell this. He was serious about it, but but I don't know if he's still, uh, you know, negotiating with people or what. I definitely want to pay attention to what happens with Terry. Okay, uh, Kenichi Daisy, if you remember him, he had the the big health scare up at uh, when he was with the Vikings, right. and I had to retire. But he's the assistant strength and conditioning coach at UW with uh, Steve Sarkeesian. So that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's what we are. That's good. And they need that. That's a, I think that, that kind of an infusion, uh, you know, uh, of, the, of some of the stuff that ha- was happening at USC is certainly, uh, you know, with uh, with Coach Carlisle, I think that would be – that's a great uh, – uh, you know, being – I say Coach Carlisle, in the same town with Coach yeah. Carlisle. They, they all kind of have, I think, a, a kind of a networking – sort of a deal and uh, and that would be great i'd love to see him uh, you know 
So love to see him uh, with Coach Sarkeesian uh, get it going there. Uh, not too much, but uh, you know enough to. Uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, Maybe these can... teams from uh, racking up 770 yards in offense in the bowl game against them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Darnell Bing, he's actually focusing on his uh, charitable organization. So if you remember, he left USC early, was drafted, I think, as a linebacker by the Raiders. But now he's focusing. He has a charitable organization called 20-1, so 21. And it helps families uh, who recently had children that were born with Down syndrome. Um, I guess they focus on counseling new parents and how to best deal with the child's illness. I'm not really sure how he got into that, if there was a family member that was involved or hmm. or what. But, yeah, I thought that was an interesting. That would be a great story. Yeah, we have to track him down. Yeah, for sure. He's on Twitter quite a bit, uh, Dan. we got to get you on doing the tweet okay, thing, too. got to get me going. Okay. I'm trying, you know, between okay. me, me and your wife, this Diane, summer, we're, that's what we're working that's on you. My summer, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Manny Wright is now at uh, playing for Stockton Lightning, uh, uh, the American Indoor Football League. I uh, remember wow. him. And then uh, last one we have Garrett Green. He's uh, so he would, went back to USC. What was I think it was his Masters in was it MBA he was getting? I think it was MBA. I thought it was an MBA. Yes. Yeah, uh, but he's a financial service associate at J.P. Morgan uh, in L.A. and he has been there for about a year or so, or past ten months. And today's his birthday, so happy birthday, Garrett! I saw that on. That uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. He's always our, uh, our our guy that everybody always would say he could have gone to Harvard. You know, yeah. I always like that uh, about Garrett. Smart kid, played a lot of positions. Uh, whatever they needed him to do, he uh, could and would do. Yeah, I remember. I remember interviewing him at his high school, and then just following his career through, and uh, it was crazy. I mean, I, he had a very interesting career and throwing that he got to throw a touchdown in the Rose Bowl from the holder position and it was just great yep terrific kid all right uh well we have a couple other questions too um some of the feedback we got uh it's funny where people love to hear about the NCAA stuff and Dan you're always all over this and there's some people hate it but obviously we keep getting questions so we we can't ignore them so we And, and I understand that because it also makes me sad and mad as well. And there are times I don't ever want to think about it again. And so I, I can understand uh, people out there saying it just frustrates you to the point you just can't do anything about it and it just drives you crazy. And, you know, so uh, we, I understand. Uh, I feel the same way a lot of times. Uh, but, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of questions. Let me, I'll read them both to you and then you kind of uh, comment on them. But uh, Paul in Vegas said, there's a front page article recently in USA Today about, oh, I'm sorry, this is the wrong question. There. He said he's been a fan and supporter since 1953. And since 2010, Paul D has been the loudest and harshest critic of the USC football program. I'm sure he thought the penalties uh, had dealt a death blow to the football program. What he never realized was all the attacks against the program made USC look at improving the faults by bringing back Pat Hayden, hiring Lane Kiffin, the right man to coach and run the football team, and get us back to the glory years of McKay when no one believed it could be done. So uh, this is from Michael. He wanted to know uh, any comment on how the Trojan family feels about uh, the the passing of Paul D. You know, I mean, I thought they were fairly restrained in terms of, uh, although on, on on the P and on on USCfootball.com, uh, I do think there were some national boards where. Uh, uh, you know, they got, uh, and, and maybe people say rightfully so, I mean, uh, in terms of, uh, of of what 
the Committee on Infractions with Paul D. as its chairman, you know, tried to do the USC. I mean, I think we probably credit him with more of uh, more of our focus is on him because he did that really badly handled press conference for an hour after the uh, sanctions came down, and he kept referencing Miami, uh, and it made it sound personal and petty and silly. And the NCA at least was smart enough after that to rule, you know, to make a new rule that the committee chairman. Uh, will not necessarily do an hour-long press conference after they deliver the sanctions because of his embarrassing uh, uh, conduct on that press conference because this wasn't about Miami, and it certainly looked like he made it about Miami. Uh, I do think the more we look at it, the more we say, you know, it was probably uh, uh, more than Paul D. Uh, Paul D., you know, was out front, and, he, you know, probably had some reasons certainly to um, – uh, try to make USC look as bad as possible, and it, who knew that, that the other Miami scandal was on the horizon uh, just because of the previous one. But uh, but there were other people uh, involved that uh, you know as guilty or, or, or even more guilty. And it's interesting uh, the NCA, uh, as far as they're concerned, Paul D didn't exist. He's uh, you know he's gone. Just like uh, you know, in real life, uh, uh, no one wants to talk about him. No one wants to, you know, reference the fact that you know he shouldn't have been on that committee, and three or four others probably shouldn't have been on that committee, uh, and that no one could have foreseen. You know, now obviously, if USC knew what they know now, would have had to knock some of those people off, or at least fought to, you know, like crazy to get them off, but. Uh, but we probably focused on him, and he took the focus because of, of his just his own personal history and, and his own situation with Miami and his press conference afterwards. But he probably gets too much of the credit and or blame uh, for what happened to USC, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing uh, for his legacy. I don't know. But, uh, but that's, that's kind of my take now. I think you know, he wasn't by himself at all. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, it was a weird situation on the Peristyle, Dan, with uh, with Paul D. And I think, like I said, I think a lot of people were pretty respectful, but, I mean, a lot of the tweets I was receiving, there wasn't a lot of love lost. Uh, and people were a little more open on Twitter about their uh, disdain for Mr. Yeah. D. And, and, and he needed to be much more re- – he himself needed to be more restrained on that press conference. That was That was out of control. And he was almost gleeful about what he did to USC, and 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 seeming no self-awareness of how ridiculously out of kilter what he did or what the committee did was, and that you know every college football observer you know was just totally shocked. You know, I mean, you get a Curb Herb Street on right afterwards, and he's like, you know, he can barely believe it. You know, and and Paul D acted like it was just no big deal. And the the lack of self awareness I think put him in a position where he was never and then then with the Miami new Miami scandal uh, came along and his hypocrisy in terms of how how could he possibly know that, that guy he was running out on the field with or however 
close to running Paul, you know, D could ever do, uh, <laughs> was, you know, was throwing, you know, cocaine and hooker parties to the Miami players on his yacht. I mean, come on. I yeah. mean, just, and, and, you, know, you know, the guy that got in a fight with your compliance director in the press box during a game? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. The guy you couldn't have possibly known anything about. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll move he was on a from... Big tar- let's say this. He, he made himself a big target. <laughs> Ouch. A couple, couple parting shots from Ben Weber there. Um, we also, like, uh, Martin had a question on the McNair case, and JJB had this on that, too. He said, I hate to keep harping away at this NCAA thing, but they say the NCAA is going to try and drag out this Todd McNair thing forever. Why can't USC just appeal to the courts to get the lead out, to get the lead out, sorry, so if the courts decide USC got the shaft, the last two years of the penalties could be dropped. And so his, he went on a little bit longer, but he's a, he's worried that by the time, if if you know McNair wins the case, USC's already served its penalties and it's kind of pointless at that point. Well, USC's really not any part of the McNair case, so they have no control over the McNair case. You know, the McNair case is strictly about McNair, and strictly by McNair. You know, strictly for McNair, and USC has pretty much pulled itself out. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, uh, an issue that some people, you know, are, are strongly disagree with, uh, you know, the fact of, uh, that USC has decided to, uh, you know, pretty much guarantee the NCAA that they're not going to be any part of this. Uh, so USC almost doesn't have the right to have any, you know, sense of, well, if it goes faster and we find out this happened, Maybe we can benefit from it. One would like to think that that there would be constant communication between USC and the NCAA about this, and with the goal of uh, reducing the future penalties uh, in, in terms of scholarships and things like that. And it would be pushing really hard, and would be pushing hard for favorable. Uh, because I still don't think that they've decided in terms of exactly how every ruling and, and every scholarship award and all that kind of thing, those are still all to be determined in terms of exactly who, when, how, and all of that. And, and one would like to think that behind the scenes, USC is being very aggressive knowing that the NCAA, you know, basically has done some things here that weren't according to the rules and, and, and weren't fair and weren't comparable. And, uh, uh, but, we don't know that. Uh, we can only hope, and we can only hope that as the McNair case develops, USC has the ability behind the scenes to be pushing really hard. Uh, but publicly, and in any you know formal way, USC is not connected with the McNair case uh, at all. All right, we have one more, uh, Dan from Martin. So he he was asking about Todd McNair as well, but. Um, Two things he wanted to know. Any late updates or latest updates on the Coliseum? And this is something we hear quite a bit. Uh, why doesn't USC have a women's softball team? Well, I think they don't have a place for them to play. I mean, they literally, there is not space. Uh, and that, one would think that has to be one of the real benefits of, uh, of taking over the Coliseum and the Coliseum property is the ability to, you know, to put a, a women's softball team uh, you know, a, a facility for them. And, uh, you know, USC could be, I think, you know, immediately, it's one of those sports where they could be immediately uh, competitive on a national basis. 
because I think with softball, with the number of scholarships in that, it's not like baseball. You have enough. Uh, you don't need you know the the depth in your pitching staff and all that. If you get you know 13 good players, uh, and you can certainly get 13 good players in Southern California. Who uh, and there's a difference because I think the girls who come in and play softball on scholarship mostly. You know, they're not looking to play, you know, Major League Softball. They want to get a, a good degree. So I think USC would be immediately competitive nationally. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's a sport I enjoy watching uh, most of, of the women's sports. I, mean, I think it's such a great natural sport for women, and it's a shame that USC, essentially, there just is no place to play it on campus and, and to build a, a decent facility. And uh, so uh, uh, I think the Coliseum property just offers them that, uh, that ability immediately. And uh, you would think that would be almost the first thing they do um, with the Coliseum property is uh, you know, put in a softball field. Now, there, I was hearing stuff, too, about Title IX. And, it, like, you couldn't have – it has to be – there's something to do with the stadium uh, being up to the – like, the, if you have a softball team, you can't have, like, a crappy little thing if you have a great baseball stadium. like but, yeah. Something along exactly. That. Yeah, it has to really be comparable. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to feel like uh, you know, there's no uh, lack of comparability between you know what you're doing for the uh, the women's softball team as, as you are for the baseball team, and and you know, USC simply he has no room to do that on on this camp on the campus, uh, you know, as it is now. So uh, the only way you could do it right would be uh, would be uh, you know with with some new property, be, you know, becoming available, which is what the Coliseum would do for it. Uh, you know, especially when we're thinking the area, because you know they'd have to, you know, they'd have to make a, an interesting call about what happens with the um, uh, with the uh, uh, sports arena, and 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 what would they do with that? Because that's part of the part of the deal, and uh, you know there is you know property over there that, uh, and then there are also you know the potential for parking garages. And uh, the, the possibility of a, you know, say a separate building comparable to the press box on the one side that would be uh, private boxes on the other side. But again, everybody tells me that the whole retrofitting thing for, uh, you know, earthquakes and all of that uh, is an issue that maybe hasn't been completely uh, explored in terms of, you know, costs and, and all of that for doing those, those different things. But it looks like softball. That isn't going to be a gigantic cost, and they could really get that going, and uh, we'd love to see that. For sure, yeah. I mean, there's so many good players in California. My wife's a big softball fan. She went to Tennessee. I, I have a hard time watching it. Just I think they need to make the the bases longer. It's just everything's too tight, and you need to like expand it, make it a little more like baseball. I or, couldn't agree with you more. I yeah. think they need to move the pitcher back a little bit. I just would like to see more uh, more fielding, uh, uh, throwing, base running. Yeah. Because it is a great game, and it's a great game for girls. And uh, uh, I think the traditionalists uh, tend to, you know, stifle anybody who wants to move the pitcher three feet back and the base is five feet longer. Yeah. But uh, it would make it a better game. Yeah, I mean, you had a ch- you're a left-handed batter. You hit a chopper to shortstop, and there's no way she can throw you out. That's just not like that's not right. Like you need to fix that somehow. And there's so many good players from California, Dan. Though, and if you just look at like Tennessee's roster, right. they're up there in the top of the country, and they have you know a bunch of players from from California. And I think it happens in the SEC a lot. There's just not enough good programs out here. USC would have an instant top 25 program just the day they started. I would think. 
Uh, I think they would be, yeah, because, and I do think the two things that are different is with the number of scholarships, you can have a full team, and it's not like baseball where you, you know, you still need twice as many players as you got scholarships. And uh, the second thing is, I think the guys that have a baseball scholarship want to go to the major leagues. Girls that have a, a softball scholarship want to get a good degree. And uh, that's where USC really comes into play. I think uh, uh, so. Yeah, I'm all, I'm I'm a giant, you know, USC. Uh, let's get women's softball going as soon as we can. Uh, uh, person. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. It was fun talking about the conference stuff and then answering all the questions and where are they now things so we appreciate you coming on the show we'll we'll talk to you again next week dan thank you very much ryan i enjoyed it all right everyone else thank you very much for tuning into the peristyle podcast stay tuned probably on wednesday we will have a trojan blast with gerard martinez so stay tuned for that a little bit later on the week for dan weber harvey hyde this is ryan abraham signing off thanks for tuning in to peristyle podcast You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 